folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo, to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome into another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and joining me on the show is Will Raggetts. He covers the Minnesota Vikings for Sports Illustrated. What is up, Will? Not much. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will, you just started covering the team last year. I moved yep. here in uh, 2016 to start covering the team, and in my first year, Mike Zimmer had an eyeball issue, and Teddy Bridgewater's knee exploded, and by the end of the season, there was also a protester hanging from the top of the stadium in Week 17. Uh, what was the weirdest Minnesota Viking thing that you covered in your first year? Good question. Uh, it was certainly an interesting season last year. Uh, I would say one that jumps out is just the the whole Stefan Diggs situation uh, following that, that week four loss in Chicago, which I was able to be at. Um, Bears do not have the best press box in the NFL, by the way. And uh, also Adam Thielen kind of speaking out after that game. That's one that sticks out. I'm sure there were some others, but I don't think it got quite to the craziness level that, that you experienced back in, in 2016. No, 2016 was uh, maybe not the most crazy Viking season of all time. The old school beat reporters tell me 2010 and the uh, sex boat usually lead yeah. that list. Um, but 2016 was pretty wild. Last year, that press conference is my Twitter picture, is me standing there during that press conference of Stefan Diggs saying there's truth to all rumors. And you know what? It did actually turn out that there were truth two rumors of Stefan Dix's trade. Um, I got a lot of things that I want to get to with you, Will, uh, starting with a piece that you wrote about Randy Moss and why he should be the next color analyst on Monday Night Football. I also want to get to Reasonable Expectations Week is what I've been doing at purpleinsider.com and also Delvin Cook and, and his situation. But let's start with Randy Moss, the analyst. I just am a little bit mind-blown, having grown up watching Randy Moss's entire career uh, and the reputation that Randy Moss had during that career, which was pretty pretty volatile uh, a lot of the time. 
And yeah. now he is kind of just considered one of the smartest and most entertaining analysts out there after getting his job with ESPN. And I love the idea of Randy Moss during live broadcast because, A, he's an incredibly smart analyst and was a highly intelligent player that we only really learned about that intelligence later on after his career because he was so closed up. Um, but all of his teammates that I've ever talked to talk about how smart he was about the game. Bill Belichick said that he was one of the most uh, players who most challenged him when he was coaching him in New England. And I think if you take that big football brain along with the moxie and just natural entertainment value of Randy Moss, it's mm-hmm. the perfect guy to be in the booth. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that. I think his Moss's reputation has kind of done a 180 since his playing career ended. He's gone from this controversial figure who uh, stirred up a lot of different emotions in people to a guy that people are looking back on his career and just realizing how entertaining he is. And uh, I think his his role on TV, uh, first with Fox Sports and then now with ESPN for the last four years, has been a, a big factor in that. And people can see his personality and they don't have to worry about if he's torching their, their favorite team anymore. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, he's got uh, really the all of the, the components, I think, that would, would make him successful in the booth. People would root for him to succeed. Uh, they wouldn't kind of go in looking to tarnish him like they might with, with Booger McFarlane and Jason Witten the last couple of years. And then he's got, he's got the experience, he's got the resume, and he's a really smart player. He would be able to, to make the broadcast entertaining just with his charisma and his enthusiasm. And I also think he would be able to, to analyze the game at a high level. It, it's a question of if he would want to do it, because going from that, that studio analyst role to actually being in the booth comes with a little bit more preparation and the weekly meetings and all that. But I, I think it's a logical step for him. I think it's something he could have a lot of fun with. Well, and it almost speaks to just what we want from our person in the booth these days, where maybe back in the day what broadcast networks were looking for is someone who could, yeah, be entertaining to some extent, but it was mostly like break down the football in a way that people could understand. And I always thought that John Madden pushed the limits on both of those things, breaking down football at a level that people had not ever seen before when he first started broadcasting. But then he was also entertaining and funny, and he and Pat Summerall played off each other really well. And we're seeing a lot of the same thing for the praise of Tony Romo, that the thing that gets talked about the most with Tony Romo is when he predicts a play and then it's right. But he only does that a handful of times per game. Usually what you're getting out of Tony Romo is just really smart commentary and an enthusiasm that is through the roof. And I think he's reined it in a little bit to not be interrupting Jim Nance constantly, but Jim Nance being the straight man, but also playing along enough has made that the number one booth. I think if you found the right straight man to go with Randy Moss, you can bring that entertainment value that goes along with it. That I think that people are just looking for a little more when it comes to their color analysts than what we traditionally thought of that position. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the, the main names that's been rumored for that, that play-by-play role to replace Joe Testator has been Steve Levy, and I think that would be a, a good pairing with Moss. And I will say this wasn't an original idea of mine. It's Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports wrote something about this a couple of weeks ago. I was just kind of expanding on it and, and throwing my support behind it. But uh, he made the comparison in, in his article, actually, of, of kind of with Mike Mayock and Tony Romo, where Mike Mayock is a guy who – obviously knows the X's and O's as well as anybody, and he was really good at, at breaking down the game, but there wasn't a certain enthusiasm there. And 
that was kind of the reason he didn't really resonate with the audience as much as Tony Romo is. Uh, and Tony has the X's and O's, obviously, but he also uh, has the enthusiasm and he has the uh, just kind of the overall energy level that you need uh, to keep that, that booth entertaining and, and keep it flowing. And I think if you are a lot of fun to listen to, people will forgive a lot um, because the, yeah. the previous booth just seemed like it was kind of forced. And I have a lot of respect for Booger McFarlane and how challenging that job actually is to analyze X's and O's on the fly. I mean, even the team doesn't do that. The team goes back and looks at the tape a million different ways before it decides what happens. But we expect this guy up in the booth, something that's happening in five seconds or less, and it's going really fast, and there's a million things going a million different ways, and you're supposed to pick out the coverage or which guy blocked this way or whatever else, that's a really difficult thing to do. But if it's someone who seems like they're having a lot of fun doing it and is very natural at doing it, I think there is a little more forgiveness from the audience of, like, well, he got it wrong, but who cares? Randy Moss is having a great time in there. And I, I agree that he is – one of the, the people that I would put at the very top of the list. And the other thing, too, is that Randy Moss is just forever interesting. You know, they put out yeah. a 10-part documentary on Michael Jordan. And I thought, well, okay, what football player would come to mind that I'd want to see a 10-part documentary on? And the first one that comes to mind is Randy Moss because he just has an, an, an amazing backstory and you know how smart he is. You know how talented he was. He changed the game when he was on the field. But also even the like embracing the you got Moss thing and the little fun bits that they do um, to see his personality grow like that. I just think that you always want to hear what he's got to say. And I was lucky enough to be at one press conference from Randy Moss when they were putting him in the ring of honor. And someone asked him, uh, you know, a question about Denny Green, and he opened up like I've never seen him open up before. And I, I think that there's a lot that's been bottled up there for years and years that he would love to say, whether even it's just his own personal experiences on the field or the things that he saw that he wouldn't ever tell reporters, but guys inside the locker room knew what he was capable of in terms of looking at the game. Yeah, he he would absolutely have so many stories to fill kind of gaps in the broadcast, whether it's coming out of a commercial break or, or late in the blowout. Um, I, he would be able to just give a, so many little insights uh, that I think would be really cool to hear that some of which uh, we've probably never heard before. Right. And like you mentioned, he's been he's been entertaining for the one of the most entertaining people in football for the past three decades now almost. And um he just was one of the top mic'd up guys ever. I think NFL.com ranked him third on that. Just the, the straight cash homie. And anytime he's he's speaking, anytime he's he's just saying something in that, that classic Randy Moss accent, you want to hear what he has to say. And I think that uh, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that he would be entertaining in the booth. How quickly he would be able to kind of pick up the nuances of the job is another thing. But I think – fans would kind of give him that leeway to maybe take a little bit of time and get into the flow with it. Well, and you would love to see Monday Night Football just in general get back to succeeding. I thought they actually had Absolutely. some good matchups last year. For a little while there, the matchups on Thursday night were better than they were on Monday Night Football, but I feel like last year it sort of came back. But I love to go back and watch old YouTube games, and Frank and Al and Dan were the crew when I was growing up, and I'll still go back and watch those guys. And it was just the perfect booth 
and they've been since then just fighting to find anything that fits. They had John Madden in there for a little while with Al Michaels. They did the, uh, what was the, the comedian Dennis Miller they did for a little while. That was a complete disaster for maybe, I think, one year. And the same thing with Booger McFarlane and Joe Tessitore, where Tessitore just strikes me more as a guy who you'd hear on Saturdays calling college football. And, you know, Booger McFarlane, I think is much better in a studio setting where he's on yeah. with they like get up or something like that. I always found him to be very, very insightful with that, but having to do it on the fly was really tough for him. So maybe someday soon we will see ESPN bring back Monday night football to what it once was. Uh, I want to get into reasonable expectations week because that's what I've been writing about at purpleinsider.com. And for today's, as we record this, I wrote about reasonable expectations for the Vikings defense. Why don't you just give me your broad view on what is reasonable to expect for the Vikings defense? Yeah, uh, it's going to be really interesting. Is, is I'll just start by saying that. And I think anytime you're talking about a Mike Zimmer defense, the expectations are that, this is going to be a, a, a top half defense in the NFL, if not top 10 or top five. Uh, I, I don't think uh, it's going to be a top five defense just because of all of the, the personnel um, replacements that, that are happening here, especially at the cornerback position. Um, but it's an interesting defense to me because you've got so many really elite players. Um, you've got the two safeties and they were able to, to franchise tag Anthony Harris. And you've got Eric Kendricks who, who blossomed into one of the best middle linebackers in football last year. You've got Daniel Hunter, who I think could, could have something like 18, 19 sacks this year. It, I just, I don't, I don't doubt anything uh, with, with that guy. And, and then you've got the, the two rookie cornerbacks they brought in. You've got Mike Hughes, Holton Hill there. All of the corners are, are 23 or younger. Uh, so that's going to be interesting, especially because they haven't gotten onto the field with those rookies yet. The the uh, the competition at, at three technique is also going to be fascinating to me. Uh, they really could use a replacement for Shamar Stefan there, somebody who can, can generate some interior pressure, uh, whether that's Armand Watts or James Lynch or who knows, Hercules uh, Mataafa. But I think if Mike Zimmer is able to put together a, a top 10 defense here, given all of the, the moving pieces and all of the, the young guys and the unknowns, I think that would be one of his, his more impressive coaching feats. But I think reasonable expectations are probably somewhere in the 10 to 15 range, uh, whatever metric you want to go on, points, yards allowed, DVOA, whatever that is. You know, it really dives into the philosophy or how we think defense works. I mean, because you mentioned the superstar talent and Harrison Smith, Daniel Hunter, and Eric Hendricks, you would put them up against the levels of any other defense in the NFL. Take your best defensive lineman, your best linebacker, and your best uh, player in the secondary, and these three would match up against almost anyone. But I also think that with defense, there's a lot to be said for having average players at every position and then a couple of superstars that can carry you because if you have a weakness, we saw this last year from Xavier Rhodes, opponents will just take advantage of that repeatedly. They were completing 80-plus percent of passes when throwing at Xavier Rhodes, so guess what they did every week? Threw at Xavier Rhodes constantly, yeah. and the Vikings defense 
was able to survive it to some extent, but not as well as they had in the past when even they had players like Captain Munnerlin or Terrence Newman filling these positions. Even Mackenzie Alexander playing solid football is going to be really valuable for you. And we just can't predict what's going to happen at the cornerback position. I would say it probably can't be worse than what Xavier Rhodes gave them last year. And Trey Wayans went under the radar for not having a good season at all just because Rhodes was getting toasted all the time. So I kind of go back and forth there. But the biggest loss for me, Will, the hardest one to replace is Everson Griffin. I think Michael Pierce can do what Linval Joseph was doing last year for them in the last two years. Maybe not peak Linval Joseph, but you can fill that spot and you can improve at the three technique spot. Your linebackers are still the same. Your safeties are still the same. And even if your corners struggle, they're probably going to give you a similar performance to what you got last year. But Afadi Adenabo, as much as I like him, and I know that you guys went to the same college, so maybe you have Adenabo bias here, but uh, I like him a lot. I really like him a lot. It's a great story. It's a guy who was cut a couple of times out of camp and then comes back last year in a great situational passer role, makes some uh, pass rusher role, makes some great plays. What happened in Los Angeles, returning the, the fumble for a touchdown, seven and a half sacks, all good. But replacing Daniil Hunter is, uh, I'm sorry, Everson Griffin is not any kind of easy task because this is a guy who was consistently in the top 10 and 15 in the league in pressures going all the way back to when Mike Zimmer got here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not, I think some Vikings fans see the seven sacks and are super optimistic and think, oh, Fadi can just slide in and, and give you almost all of what Griffin's giving you. I think that is probably not realistic. And I've written about this a couple of times. Afadi Odenbo hasn't played a three down role since high school. I mean, going back to, I, I covered him at Northwestern. Uh, he could never really get in the coach's complete good graces and, and earn that, that every down role because they were constantly kind of wanting more from him in run defense. So he was that, that third down pass rush specialist guy, and he still managed to rack up 23 and a half sacks over three or four years doing that, including 10 as a senior. I was, I was covering a game at, at Iowa where he had four sacks one game, and I was like, okay, this guy is, can't be blocked by, by Big Ten tackles here, and I, Iowa's got some pretty good ones. But So the talent is there. It's a question of now in his third year, can he put it all together and can he – kind of earned that, that three-down role for the first time. And, and he's obviously been working with, with Andre Patterson a lot. He's got the, the work ethic. He's got the size. But that's a really nuanced position where uh, you can't what, – what he was doing last year was just pinning his ears back and, and going after the passer. And a lot of times they moved him inside and he was able to rush against guards, which I think is a little bit easier, especially for a, kind of a big power guy like him. Uh, but w- when you're playing on first and second down and you're on the edge, you can't just – go crazy off the edge and, and think that quarterback's going to be back, that you might have a run going through your gap that's now going for 15 yards. So you've got to be smart and you've got to uh, play with, with good leverage. And, and that was something that I think Everson Griffin was kind of underrated at, just being an all-around uh, player at, the, at that defensive end position. Well, that's so, a great point because Everson Griffin was a 900 to 1,000 snap a year type of player where he was going to yeah. be in there for every single play for every game. And sometimes we would be saying, why is Everson Griffin still out there? Like when he got hurt in London in 2017, it was on the last play of the game. Like, why is Everson Griffin out there on the last play of the game? Uh, but that is how he was able to play. And there are very few players anywhere in the NFL who can play that complete role, not just – Um, 
rushing the passer, but shutting down the run and rushing the passer for four quarters and still being good in the fourth quarter, that is a totally different level of durability that's required that yeah. I'm not saying a Fadi Adenabo is going to be out of shape. I'm saying that if you've never done that before, that's got to be like climbing a mountain every single week to be rushing over and over and over and over again and going up against left tackles. I mean, consistently, like you mentioned, moving him around it. And I wrote a piece that I think they should still move him around and they should find other players too. Maybe it's DJ Wanham or maybe you mentioned uh, on Twitter, Jalen Holmes the other day that, you know, he hasn't proven anything yet so far, but maybe you try him back at defensive end where he played in college. I don't think it's a great idea to just say, Hey, if Adenbo, that job's yours. Play every single snap. Be Everson Griffin. Have fun. Yeah. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to do that. I think they'll give him a chance to earn earn a big role, and uh, the, the certainly the majority of the snaps there, I don't see anybody pushing him for that. Uh, but they have some interesting pieces. I mean, Anthony Zettel is a guy who maybe didn't uh, wow a lot of people when they brought him in on a, on a one-year, one-million deal this offseason. But uh, 2017, when he was with the Lions, he had – six and a half sacks and uh, played really well against the Vikings, especially it, like sacked case Keenum like three times that year. Uh, so he could be an interesting guy, um, kind of a power guy, kind of a hybrid um, tackle and option. Um, so it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who emerges there, but I, I think Afadio Denebo overall, he's going to be given that chance, especially uh, on third down. Still, he's going to be a guy who, uh, could maybe push for, for double-digit sacks. That would be the optimistic view. And I think continuing to move him around and give him those as advantageous of a matchup uh, from a, on a play-to-play basis as you can would be a good move. I don't, I don't know. if Are they going to keep Daniil Hunter on his same side, or would they move him over to, to rush against left tackles now that Griffin's gone? That's something that I haven't really thought about too much. Before we get back to the conversation, got to take a second to thank our sponsor, Soda Stick. Go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen yet the Can't Stop the Thielen hat, you got to check it out. It's part of an official partnership with Adam Thielen. If you need to get some new hats for summer, they're having their annual summer hat deal right now. Get 30% off select hats when buying two or more. SodaStick.com to shop. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. 30% off select hats. No code needed. Discount automatically applied at checkout. Deal ends June 20th. Yeah, I haven't either. I mean, I think he's capable of doing both, but he's had so much success from rushing from that side. Why change it? I mean, it's kind of like kind of like the Brian O'Neill thing. Yeah, yeah. Where yep. you could move him to left tackle, but you don't want to mess with a good thing necessarily. Right. Exactly. And and I mean, there is a difference, but how much is the difference in today's game where teams are passing sixty percent of the time? If you're getting rush from the right or the left, I think that they're both really valuable. And we also don't see, like back in the day, there used to be strip sacks all the time. And yeah, you still see it from time to time on the blind side of the quarterback. But what we've really figured out in today's game when quarterbacks are getting the ball out quickly is that pressure is the thing. And, you know, you see quarterback ratings drop by 20, 30, 40 points when quarterbacks are pressured. So if they're getting pressure in their face from Daniil Hunter off the right side, where he's a big mismatch against right tackles, or if it's from the blind side, uh, you know, I'm going to take that either way. So I think that they should keep him where he is. I want you to pick another player, whatever player you want, 
to tell me who the hardest one to figure out reasonable expectations are. You know, I think figuring out what a reasonable expectation for, say, Kirk Cousins is is very easy, even though I'm going to write about it. It's not a, a huge challenge to say this is what you expect out of your very expensive quarterback. Uh, but who would be the hardest player to determine what we should have for reasonable expectations? Yeah, there, there are a lot of them that I think uh, are kind of difficult. But I'll stick on the defensive side of the ball here, and I'll, I'll just go with Mike Hughes because uh, I think he's kind of an enigma to me. I mean, we've seen – a little bit of his potential over the past two years, but he's also had, had the injuries and he's had some struggles at times of the Dallas game. Uh, he was matched up with Amari Cooper a lot and that, that didn't go particularly well, uh, which is, is forgivable, but they really kind of need him to, to step up and, and be that guy, be the number one corner. Uh, and at just 23 with, with however many NFL games he's played in so far, that's kind of a big ask, uh, especially for an undersized guy who it seems like they may ask to play outside. I would, I would guess that Jeff Gladney starts more in the nickel just because that might be uh, slightly more suited for him and with, with also, also with the lack of uh, experience this, from the shortened offseason. So for me, Mike Hughes is, is a really fascinating guy. Can he kind of break out in year three? And the Vikings would certainly like to see him do that. That would make – uh, any decisions on his future a lot easier going forward. Yeah, I was thinking about it the opposite way with Jeff Gladney, that they would probably have Mike Hughes inside because he's the only guy with any real experience of even practicing inside. He didn't play much inside in the NFL, but the last two training camps he had been competing there or working in snaps there with Mackenzie Alexander, so there's no one else. But but Jeff Gladney fits the mold. He fits the size of someone who you would expect to be a nickel corner. Um, that's going to be a really hard one to figure out, and especially if training camp is altered, and even there was a report that there's only going to be two preseason games likely. I mean, this makes yeah. it extremely difficult for them to even figure out who should be playing. I know Dantzler and Holton Hill are definitely outside corners only, so you know that. Um, but Hughes' flexibility might help them out a little if he can stay healthy. And speaking of a guy who has not entirely stayed healthy, I want to ask your opinion about Delvin Cook and his current contract strife. Uh, it seems to me from people that I have talked to that there is a pretty wide gap between where the Vikings stand and what Delvin Cook wants. And I wonder if you think that Delvin Cook is overplaying his hand here or if the Vikings are being unreasonable to play very hardball, it seems like, from the offers that have been out there and reported that they don't even want to reach $10 million a year with Delvin Cook. So to me, that's playing pretty hardball on the Vikings side. Uh, what is your take on this situation? Yeah, my take is that both teams kind of have defendable, defensible stances here and, and are taking approaches that, that probably make the most sense from their perspective and Dalvin cook, this is his chance to get paid. He doesn't want to be the 46th highest paid running back. Like he's going to be in the last year of his rookie deal. He, he feels like he's earned a, a big extension. It's kind of hard to argue against that. And when you look at the numbers he put up last year and especially in the, the first 10 games of the season, he was on pace for, for almost 2,300 yards from scrimmage. Uh, but the Vikings at the same time, all of the, the, uh, the analytics and, and a lot of the, the data points and uh, there are a lot of reasons for them to be, be skeptical and a little hesitant about giving cook that 13 million a year, if that's what he wants. 
Uh, I think they, they certainly are playing pretty hardball, if, if, especially if they're they're offering eight million a year, like like is is rumored. Uh, that I think Cook is probably worth a little more than than Melvin Gordon money, considering what he he brings to this team specifically and his his all around talent. There are people who will say that the Vikings would be crazy to go over over ten million. I, I think uh, PFF would probably support that line of thinking, but. I mean, for me, Dalvin Cook does so much for this offense. And in Gary Kubiak's run-heavy offense, I think there would be a real drop-off if you if you went to Alexander Madison and Mike Boone and expected them to, to give you the same production. So it'll be a question of can they meet somewhere in the middle? Uh, how much are the Vikings going to kind of use goodwill here with, with Dalvin Cook? Because we know Rick Spielman likes to kind of cultivate that culture where they're rewarding these these talented homegrown players, but Dalvin Cook doesn't have a ton of leverage. Uh, there's there's the CBA implications with this. Right? If he if he actually does hold out, he's going to get fined a lot of money, and he's going to get fined over that 1.3 mil pretty quickly if, if he holds out for a while, and uh, then he wouldn't get the accrued season, and it wouldn't be an unrestricted free agent. So I, the Vikings have more leverage here, but they do kind of. They don't need Dalvin Cook, but but they kind of need Dalvin Cook, if if that makes any sense. Yeah, this is kind of like a gotta hear both sides type of situation. Yeah. You, you know, usually um, when it comes to this, I can just stand on one side and say like, look, this is my take, this is how it should be, and so forth. But with this one, yeah, you totally get it for why Dalvin Cook would want to get paid now. And even his own injury history is probably part of it. I mean, you know, if you're looking at playing a a year on the final year of your contract, like you mentioned where you're making, I I forget what it is in cash, just over a million bucks that he's going to be bringing in. That's not the life changing money. That's not set for life. That's not protected. If you have a career ending injury type of money. So he thinks, and his side thinks, well, he's earned enough to get that benefit of being someone who is protected by their contract if he does get hurt in the future. But, you know, the team is saying, look, we went to the NFC Championship with Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon after your guy got hurt. So we can find a way to work with these other running backs. And you mentioned Boone and Alexander Madison. And as much as I totally agree that Delvin Cook is better than both of those guys. Is he better than the sum of both of them? Plus, whoever you might be able to pick up, there's still running backs on the free agent market. There are undrafted guys who emerge as being way better than you thought every single year. There's somebody else who's ready to step into that position. And in Los Angeles, that was Austin Eckler, where nobody knew that Austin Eckler was that good. And then he gets his opportunity, and boom, he's that good. So Delvin Cook's side is also taking the risk. Pittsburgh, too, with James Conner. They're taking the risk of somebody else just showing that they are also very good, and and maybe that is Alexander Madison. But at the same time, if you are in a situation where you can win the NFC North this year and look toward 2021 as being a potentially really, really good team, if some of these guys, Justin Jefferson, Jeff Gladney, Ezra Cleveland, if some of those guys hit and you still have your superstars in their prime, like Daniel Hunter and Eric Kendricks, you're talking about being a legit Super Bowl contender in a year, and I think you want to have as many great players as you can have. And with the Vikings, they've done this a number of times before where it's looked like they've been playing hardball, and ultimately they found a middle ground. So that's how I think this will play out, and it sounds like you agree, Will, that they will find a way to figure this out. 
Yeah, I think that's the most likely outcome. It, it makes sense, uh, at least to a certain degree, for both sides. And, and I agree with you. I, I know people will want uh, to hear us take one side here and really um, argue that, but it, it's tough for me to do because I, I see the logic, I see the rationale uh, from both sides. I, I can see a situation where uh, they're handing out a nice contract extension and, and taking photos and stuff right before training camp, and I I can also see a, a world where that doesn't happen and, and things start to get uh, maybe not ugly, but at least interesting uh, as we head into training camp and into the season. And uh, I, it, it's tough because he's the running back position is certainly replaceable. And, and you mentioned Austin Eckler and the Chargers are, are now going to be using him. And I'll give a, a shout out to a former Northwestern guy, Justin Jackson, who was a seventh round pick there. And, and he, had better efficiency numbers than Melvin Gordon. Like you can, you can get these guys. Philip Lindsay was an undrafted free agent. It, it's just a question of how much do you value having one of those top five guys and how much of a difference does that still make in this modern game? And I'd argue that, uh, that cook makes a little bit more of a difference on this team and with his all around skill set than maybe um, like a Derrick Henry even does um, with his just run first profile. Although Derrick Henry is extremely good. Before we get back to the conversation, I want to remind you that there is no shortage of action going on right now at our exclusive partners at betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag, use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus, that's one word, Blue Wire. Bet online, your online wagering experts. No, but I totally Del- agree, though. When you're talking about a guy who's going to touch the ball as much as Delvin Cook does, it makes more sense than if it was a pass-first offense and they were going to hand yeah. it off 150 times to him, then it wouldn't make as much sense to pay him. But since everything seems to start with him on the offense, he's got a case to make there. But then, you know, the Vikings might come back and say, well, we'll just start the offense with Alexander Madison and see how that works out. But, um, you know, I think that the organization, one part of it that's a wild card is that the organization really likes him. You know, I I think that they want to pay him. And Rick Spielman said at the Combine, we want to keep our skilled players. It's also a feather in their cap. It makes them look good from Mm -hmm. drafting him in the second round and taking that risk to then – you know, ending up signing him to a second contract. It looks like, hey, we as the front office nailed it. Um, but also, if they want in the ballpark of McCaffrey or higher, you just you just can't do it. I mean, it's just something that the Vikings could not um, could could not justify or even afford, um, especially if there is a chance that the salary cap goes down after this year. Yeah, and I saw a lot of people freaking out about when that that rumor that report came out that that his camp opened by asking for McCaffrey money. And realistically they have to know that he's not getting 16 million a year. He's not getting Zeke money with 15, uh, 13 is, is I think the absolute upper limit. And I, I think if they do reach a deal, it's, it's going to be less than 13. I think it's going to be somewhere in the 10 to 12 range probably um, just because of the, the injury history and, and nobody has the, uh, the receiving production of McCaffrey that that's kind of an outlier case with with his 
a thousand, a thousand season last year. Another factor for me is, is you mentioned the Vikings organization likes cook and just having Mike Zimmer as your head coach. I mean, we know how much Mike Zimmer loves running the football. He's a defensive guy, but he, he, he views his offensive philosophy. He wants to, wants to center around running the ball. And we, that's why, why John DiFilippo didn't, didn't last very long in Minnesota because he tried to get a little too pass happy and, he, he loves what, what Gary Kubiak uh, did with the offense last year and, and will continue to do. So both of those elements w- would lead me to be a little bit optimistic that they are going to get something done and, and they're going to work something out. But I, I don't think it's a sure thing at this point. Yeah, no, I definitely don't think it's a sure thing. And I go back to the combine where I, I talked to a number of people who were concerned that this situation was going to be problematic, and here we are. Uh, it is because the Vikings can't look at this position and say, oh, yeah, let's just give him what we gave Adrian Peterson back in the day, give him this gigantic contract because the NFL has just changed in regards to the running back position. All right, before I let you go, Will, this has been great. I'm glad we could do it. This is the first time we've gotten together on any sort of broadcast network. Um, I want you to do something that I regularly ask guests to do, or at least I decided the other day that I'm going to regularly ask guests to do, which is to irrationally defend a player from your childhood that you loved. Like I'll give you an example. Rami Maklov the other day was on the podcast and he said that Jay Cutler should have been a hall of famer if the bears had gotten him more receivers, which is ridiculous and preposterous take, but Rami loves Jay Cutler. And he thinks Jay Cutler was great. So a player from your childhood that you can irrationally defend or give hot takes about. Huh. That's interesting. Cause I don't know. If, I mean, people may not know, but I'm, I'm young. I'm only, I'm only 22. Um, so I, my, my, my main childhood watching memories uh, with, with the Vikings. So I, I grew up here in, in Minneapolis started kind of the mid to late 2000s. I think the first first season I really, really got locked into. I was always watching, but I really got locked into that, that 09 uh, team. And there are a lot, there are a lot of people from, from that, that team and from some of the, the following years that, that I loved. Uh, a guy I, I really liked was, was Vasante Shanko. Uh, I don't know if I have any hot takes about him, but I always thought that they should have utilized him a little more. I thought he was a really – uh, really athletic player at, at tight end, kind of ahead of his time in, in that regard. Um, and I just remember I was at a uh, Vikings against the Cardinals, I believe, where, where Brett Favre found Shanko in the end zone for the, the game-winning touchdown late in the game where Favre had like 450 passing yards. And uh, I just remember, I don't know, that that's maybe not the best answer, but uh, that's a guy that I remember uh, always having an, an irrational kind of dream that he was going to break out and be this this huge like Kellen Winslow Shannon Sharp like superstar tight end well so here's how you spin that here's how you spin that to irrational okay you say look if Favre had been their quarterback for longer then Asante Shanko would have been thought of as one of the truly elite tight ends in the NFL and he would have okay yeah you're better than me at this I I like I like that a lot I should have I should have gone with that I'll I'll give Um, you another one from that team in particular that I irrationally defend which is Antoine Winfield senior yeah, uh, I think Antoine Winfield Sr. is one of the best corners of that entire decade and is a borderline, if not a Hall of Fame level player. But because he played a lot in the slot and he was undersized, he didn't get the attention. And because people didn't give as much attention to the PFF numbers, if there were PFF numbers for his targets and 
quarterback ratings throwing against him, PFF grades, and his tackling, of course, which is legendary. If we had all those things in his entire career, then we would probably look at him as having a case for the Hall of Fame. There's my irrational defense of Antoine Winfield team. I like it. I like it. Yeah, he was he was awesome. I mean, just if they if they had the the advanced metrics for for how many tackles he missed, which I would estimate was was pretty close to zero, I think that that certainly would have would have made him look even better in, in, to a national audience. But yeah, the, those teams, uh, the, the the chilly era was was definitely was definitely interesting. Uh, but I, I'll go with my uh, my Vasante Shanko take that he he should have been unleashed and that could have been a a legend and a guy who is remembered best maybe for having part of him unleashed on TV accidentally I think right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. what he was known best for we won't go into any more detail about that if you don't remember it then you can Google it uh, will awesome job I'm glad to have you on the beat as well as on the show. Give us your Twitter handle because I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on the show. It is it is at Will Raggetts, uh, just my name, Will, and R-A-G-A-T-Z. All right, perfect. Well, we'll do it again soon, and uh, hopefully we're seeing each other at training camp. Everything yeah. Super weird, that, but uh, hopefully. That would, be, that would be nice. All right, All right we'll man. talk to you. Uh, again, uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Purple Insider.